Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And today we have a world-renowned therapist, an author, speaker, transformational travel leader. She is a bestseller on Amazon with her latest book, which I'm sure we'll learn more about. She also has services doing Akashic Record Reading, Past Life Regression. Uh, her book that has just come out is The Soul Health, Aligning with Spirit for Radiant Living, which is the second edition revised. And she has ongoing workshops around the country. So hold on tight to your seats. I'd like to welcome Dr. Katherine Kelly to the podcast. Thank you, Thompson, David. I'm so glad to be here tonight. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I was really uh, talking, our last podcast, we were talking about Godwinks and, and how these things happen, and you were actually referred to us from someone else, and they were like, well, you guys aren't making, you guys, podcasts, is, it's good, but it would be even better if you had Dr. <laughs> Catherine Kelly on it, so <laughs> I had to take their so advice. That's a nice and... endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Word of mouth is always a nice thing, so thank you, <laughs> whomever, absolutely. and I think I know who that was. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And so you, you're doing so, you, you offer so many things, and it, in my opinion, it's the full package, but let's unbundle that package for a second. Sure. And how, Let's talk about, I guess, let's go from the beginning as to how you, you've you gotten into this industry. Was it a natural occurrence or was it something that, that you sought out? What was, the, what was the, if you could take us through that timeline real quick. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I'm not a typical anything to start with. So as we talk today, I'm sure your listeners will find that out. Um, so, so the interesting thing is I really think the field found me. So um, all the way back to um, junior year in high school, I took an honor psychology class. And immediately, probably within a week, I realized, wait a minute, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I know that is highly unusual, um, but it's also, it was really a blessing for me to find out that soon that that's what I needed to kind of gear my life for because, as anybody knows, you have to go through a ton of school for, um, to become a psychologist. So in that process, um, gosh, so much life was happening. Uh, my father actually... Uh, passed away when I was 21, and that really started me on a personal journey to understand really all of the different aspects of the human condition that really get jolted or shaken when a major event happens. So kind of took that with me as I was going through my training. I um, And this is what was really neat about my training is that, you know, all the while I was in my, my graduate program for psychology, I was learning about sickness. But at the very same time, I took a job at the Student Health Promotion Department of that same university where I was learning about wellness. So it was really curious because I started understanding that really as we treat patients and clients that we have to look at a whole health perspective, but we also have to look at it from a wellness perspective uh, because I do think that most um, practitioners are, are taught from a sickness approach. So fast forward until I, after I graduated from my uh, doctoral program, I was a professor at medical school, um, realized again that the way medicine is taught to healthcare providers, it's not a whole health approach. Um, decided to leave that position and go into private practice basically so I could have more freedom to really help people from a whole health perspective. And that's where I created my soul health model, which is what my book is all about. So you mentioned my book, Soul Health and Mind of Spirit for Radiant Living. And it really is about helping people empower themselves to have a more radiant life through uh, really looking at all aspects of their human condition. 
Now, you're an insider, in my opinion, since you've worked with colleagues in the traditional medical profession, and I was more of a, a third-degree separation in that we work with scientists to design labs and such for them around the country. And mm-hmm. like you said, they're more so focused on the sickness, but they have the whole picture. What's your opinion as to why they're only focusing on sickness? Well, I think it's multidimensional right now. I think sickness is, um, they have been trained to do what's called symptom management. So they really look at the symptoms. They don't really look at healing or curing for that matter, which, again, some people might argue that, but they don't really look at that whole person approach. They look at, okay, is your arm broken? Well, then let's fix that broken bone. They don't really look at, gosh, what has that broken bone done to your, your life? You know, are you able to work anymore? Is that creating problems for you know, not being able to play baseball or softball or bowl anymore. So recreationally, your life might be off. You know, socially, has that thrown things off? So I, 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 I'm biased. I do, I think that we have been um, left out. You know, the whole person has been left out of healing. And it's such an important part of really looking at all of the aspects of what a person um, goes through or their li- how their life is shaken in order to help them really heal. Yeah, because, you know, the comedians and everyone else, we all laugh at the commercials for, you know, any type of product that's being sold during that commercial. And then in real gray letters at the bottom, it says that the side effects would include, and it's so <laughs> long, I guess, so they cover, you know, cover the basis because everyone's different. And right. there, there is some talk with technology about the future of personalized medicine that would yes. seem to be, since everyone's different, What's your take on on that direction with with regards to personalized medicine? I personally think we're already on the way there. And and the reason I say that is even if you look at, you know, and I laugh that they call it alternative medicine because, um, you know, alternative medicine was here first. (laughs) And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I, I find it fascinating that they call it alternative. But if you look at the statistics over the last four decades, we have seen such a dramatic increase in the number of people that are personally seeking and designing their own approach to health. And it went all the way from like 5 to 7%, all the way up to over 85% of people are looking for holistic practices now. Wow. So I think, yeah, and I think we are already starting to design our own approach to health. And that's really what this model is about, is helping empower people to look at all the different aspects of their lives and see what has been missing for them that will help realign their lives. So it's just really one more tool to help people get on that track to personalized care. The beauty of it is is that I also have lots of healthcare providers that are interested in this model because they have not been taught this model. So a lot of healthcare providers are starting to really embrace holistic health. It's just that they don't have a whole lot of time to address it within their patient sessions. And that, that's, that was actually leading to my next question because it, United States, I mean, we're leading, we're, you know, tier one country, if you will, and but we don't have the best quality of life or quality of health, and right. we don't even live as long as some of other of our other countries, of other countries, and you would wonder why. And, and so there is, it seems like, you know, we have the traditional Western thought, but there has been uh, some opinions or some outreach to looking at alternatives, like you mentioned. And it could have right. been just from a price standpoint, just because the cost of healthcare is so high. Absolutely. You know, and, and I cannot, and I, I cannot remember the exact statistic, but I, I read an article about four months ago um, that was talking about the top 100, um, or the, the, I guess it's the top 100 countries in the world as far as healthcare. And um, the U.S. rated amongst the last as far as yeah. the satisfaction and also the delivery of healthcare. So, yeah, we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, one little stat I'm going to throw in there as well is that, <clears throat> excuse me, and I learned this all the way back from when I was a professor. Primary care providers spend less than seven minutes in the room with their patients during patient appointments. How in the world can they really address the whole person within that seven minutes? And, you know, of course, there's, there's the answer is they can't. 
But then the way managed care is set up is that then they require patients to come back to address the next issue and the next issue and the next issue. By that time, that person might be seriously ill. So we really have a lot of work to do in reforming our current system. Catherine, let me ask you, first of all, I really like this picture, this tree. It's great with the hands. That's pretty cool. Um, when you came up with the soul health model, did did were the grants? Did you have like ten areas right off the primary areas right off the bat, or was it like you just had three, and then like every year you were adding to it, or right off the bat did you just come up with the ten areas? That is actually a great question. So as I mentioned, I was uh, when I was in my graduate program, I uh, was working at student health promotion of that same university. At that time, we were using the National Wellness Institute's wellness model, which has six components. And so those six components have been their components for decades. So their, their well, they call it the wellness wheel, is physical health, psychological health, social health, intellectual or occupational health, environmental health, and then they actually went back and added um, spiritual health last. And that has been their model for probably about 30 years. You know, before that, it was just those first five. As I was doing therapy, and this is what um, really, when you do hands-on work, you really hear what is going on in a person's life. But as I was doing the individual therapy and group therapy, I started to hear themes of other topics that basically were either barely addressed in the National Wellness Institute's model or were not addressed at all. So over those, those you know, next probably six or seven years after um, really starting to uh, work as a professor and then working in the wellness field, I started to add some. So I added interpersonal health, which to me, a lot of people would think that that's the same thing as social, but it's really not because the social branch to me is really, I call it the warm bodies we have in our lives. So it's not just the humans, but it is also the animals that we have in our lives because a lot of people really rely on animals as part of their social network. So I, I add that in there. But the interpersonal is really the dynamics that we have with those people. So we can have warm bodies in our lives but have really rotten interpersonal relationships with them. <laughs> so as a psychologist, over 90% of clients come in because of their relationship concerns, whether it's family or spouses or partners or coworkers. And I just felt like it was really important to separate those out. The other three branches that I added, and, and when you hear these, you're going to go, well, yeah, of course. The financial branch. You know, I don't know anybody who feels well if their finances are stretched. Yeah. And, you know, go back to the 2008-2009 financial crisis and look at how many different people went through major crises in other parts of their lives because of the way that the finances affected them. Sexual health. You know, I don't know how many clients I've seen for some kind of sexual concern, whether it's sexual trauma, sexual abuse, or sexual inhibition, or sexual problems with their partners. So that is another aspect that, to me, warranted its own separate category. And then, of course, last but not least is the recreational health. I, I find that one funny because I always said my first book was going to be about teaching adults how to play again because we're so darn serious. But uh, so I added that as, as the final branch to this model that really feels like it completed the model. Hmm. Do you find one of, one of the areas, uh, like, you know, more prominent in people than others? It all depends on the person. It really all depends on the person and the situation. Um, that's why I think there is an interplay between all of these branches because really all of us, if you look at these branches, all of us have to deal with these things in one way or another. It just happens to depend on the time of life, the particular situation. So this model really applies to pretty much everybody. Mm. What about, do you, have you ever found, okay, let's say, for example, you're working with someone, right, and it's like a new client, and just when you're starting to converse with them right off the bat, you're like, oh, yeah, their their issue has to do with, you know, psychological or environmental or 
do you have to really, you know, let them tell you what the, what, what what's going on as opposed to you just like, oh, yeah, I, can, I, I know right off the bat based on, you know, you working with a lot of people, oh, this is what their problem is. You know, I think I'm a pretty intuitive person, so I pick up on things pretty quickly. But one of the first things that we were taught in graduate school, at least in my program, was that what is presented in the beginning is usually not what you end up working on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, as young um, therapists, you're thinking, wow, how can that be? But really, it often does unfold into the fact that there are other categories of life that you end up talking about that even the clients never thought that they would be talking about. So uh, for me, I, I'm pretty good at pinning people in, in terms of what part of their, you know, overall holistic health is being affected. But I often can predict other parts of their lives that are going to be affected either positively or negatively by trying to fix one of the branches because the thing is a lot of times as you're trying to, for for instance, as you become more assertive, a lot of times it does impact, you know, relationships. And, you know, sometimes their partners or spouses or coworkers don't want that person to become more assertive. So their social aspect, you know, their social branch of health might be affected. But it, it really is um, all dependent on the person. And also, I want to throw this in here because this is something I talk about uh, in the book, but then also on my website, is, uh, you know, one of the very first things I say to people, and it is also on my website, is that I don't feel like it's enough for me to help someone heal. I want to help them evolve. And that's a powerful statement because if we really look at how to evolve, we can't just look at one aspect of our life. You know, if we really are evolving, pretty much all of our life is being uh, impacted in one way or another. I think that's huge when you look at at it holistically, no pun intended. But, you know, I I guess I'm kind of talking to doctors, too, where they're kind of hamstrung. If they have less than seven minutes to see that person, you know, that person's only coming in for that symptom. They're not – they may not be at the level of – comfort to tell them everything that's going on with them. I, I guess that's where the, the, the term bedside manner comes in. And so they would feel better with you if they, I guess we're managing expectations here. If I'm coming to you, I'm expecting the whole package versus I know I only have seven minutes when I see my primary practitioner and this is what I'm going to get out of it. Am I looking at that wrong? Hello. Mm, Hello, Queen Master. (laughs) Catherine? (laughs) Wow. That might be a first. No, let's give her some time. Hopefully we didn't scare (laughs) her off. There she goes. Oh, no, I heard her. And then then she went away. Maybe she's just reception problems. Yep, let's give her a minute. She might hear us, but we can't hear her. <laughs> um, I don't know if you can hear us, Captain. You could probably hang up and just call back in and use that. No, I heard her laugh, and then I heard her sign out. Oh, okay. Well, we were doing so good, too. <laughs> there she goes. Hi there. I don't know if you uh, hear me coming back in or not. Yeah, yeah. we got <laughs> That's a first for me, too. I, I heard you say, oh, this is a first. Well, I've, my call's never been dropped before, so we're, we're going to work with this. <laughs> we have some guests. I guess if we can, since we're all capable, if we can all clear our, our perspective lines, uh, we may have some interference, some otherworldly interference. So we probably need to do some grounding. <laughs> yep, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so we will go off. with it <laughs> yeah oh of course of course uh, I, I was thinking about that question that I asked you because I also listened to uh, Clark Howard and you know he's a consumer advocate if you don't know and he was talking about the minute clinics that's coming out with CVS um, I think they're not nationwide yet but there's they're coming around in select states where you can actually call CVS speak with a doctor via video and they'll determine if you need to come in or not for like 69 bucks and then you know that would determine 
if you should go, you know, like you said, it would take a couple of trips to actually find out what's wrong with a person. <laughs> and, and some people don't right. have all that time, so it's, it's to address that. And so I was talking about how, you know, that's how people are responding. Here, again, you know, living in the United States where we have access to so much technology and medicine and such, our quality of life isn't there from a from a healthcare standpoint where we're trying to ju- trying to package in as much as we can in a seven minute session where this is a non issue with you where you're you're covering many different aspects of what a person's going right. through. Right. Yeah, and it's um I'm one of those really obviously it probably sounds like this. I am very proactive with my clients and it's it's not unusual for me to while they're in my office, I usually have them in my office for you know, anywhere from 45 to minutes to an hour. It's not unusual for me to call a physician right when they are, you know, in the session or call a psychiatrist or call, you know, a nutritionist and, you know, make some connections right in the moment because a lot of times I do hear things within my hour that they will never hear in their seven minutes. So I kind of inform them and draw those lines together and then get them a, an appointment as soon as possible with their other, you know, healthcare provider and I help them pull it together. So, yeah, I am privileged to hear a lot more than a lot of other folks do. Um, and so, you know, it's not unusual for me to assume that there's a certain diagnosis there um, that even physicians haven't caught. That's huge. And, and I'm thinking, again, I, I am a total civilian, so I'm not in, in that realm, but just dealing with them and, and just hearing doctors lament and such. And I, I remember in this particular case, uh, there was always the Hatfields versus McCoys, if you will, in that there was the uh, medical community and then you have the up-and-coming chiropractic community. And in our case, we were looking to design a, a, a building where the two entities would share. Mm-hmm. And on the surface, right, everyone in, in did the photo ops, but they all had their fingers crossed behind the back, and the project <laughs> ultimately got shelved. And, and, and we would hear that throughout the country. And so I was just wondering what your relationship's like. It seems like on the surface one-on-one, they'd love having you as a resource because, you know, you could tap into, oh, you need to see Dr. So-and-so. But there's others that may be threatened that you're yeah. not part of the political, in this case, political process. Yeah, and and that is a really good point, and it's also a really big problem because, um, you know, for instance, there are some, you know, I'm in the mental health field. You would think that everybody within the mental health field would want to interact and make sure that their clients are being taken care of. But there are some psychiatrists I have tried to um, contact to just say, hey, this is, you know, something I'm hearing. You might want to keep an eye out for, you know, when you, you know, manage their meds the next time. And they will never return my calls. They don't really want to interact. So it's it's a very, it's a tricky field, right, you know, in general. Um, but that's why you develop relationships. And that's why you find the practitioners who are good and have integrity and want to interact and want to really make sure that their you know, clients and patients are, are cared for in a holistic way. And that's really what I do. I mean, I work with anybody, everybody from psychiatrists to surgeons to um, nutritionists to massage therapists to energy workers to chiropractors to, it's just important to pull it all together. So it, it really is a matter of, um, you know, how much energy you as a practitioner want to put into it, but also, you know, what kind of framework you come from. And because I'm holistic, it's just natural for me to really look at a holistic um, team as well. Mm-hmm. So, also, Jeff, go ahead, David. Um, I was going to ask you when, you, when you struck out on your own and doing your own practice, right off the bat, Besides the psychological health and the services, were you also doing all the soul healing stuff, or that did that come later? Uh, some of that came later. And when I struck out into private practice, I was still doing um, a little bit of the teaching at the medical school, not a lot. But then the other thing I was doing at the time was I was part of a uh, comprehensive weight management program. But really, I was teaching wellness. I was teaching whole health to these, um, you know, these clients who were dealing with emotional eating issues. But then what happened is I, uh, I created my own holistic health center, and I had that for almost four years until I realized that it was actually so much work <laughs> to try to keep this business going that it was actually affecting my own kind of holistic health. So 
strangely enough, when I closed that center was really when this model was born because I really, I had already started working on creating this model. I had um, uh, sort of a rough sketch of the tree, but it wasn't until a year or two after I closed that center, which would have been about 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, that I really delved in and started creating this model, uh, finalizing the model. What was interesting about that, and, and this is kind of something important to note, is that you know, one of the reasons, I, or the main reason I call it the soul health model, is that I realized that patients are, are kind of like what you said earlier, patients are, are treated as if they are all in a package, that they're all the same. But really what happens is individualized care is so important for a person's healing. And if the soul is the essence of who we are, which is my very, very um, basic definition, then we all need to start listening to ourselves in order to find out what we really need. So that's where a lot of the soul care came from. And then I started really doing the, the spiritual piece to this as far as, um, you know, doing the Akashic Records readings and the soul realignment uh, sessions and also the past life regression. So it kind of evolved after the model did. Um, but at the same time, I think it was um, helping people understand that the soul health model comes at healing from the human side to the soul side, and now the, work, the other work I do comes from the soul side to the human side, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So for those that don't know, I mean, I know, and I know Hamza knows, but for those that know, don't know, can you just explain real quick what the Akashic Records are and what a person, what, what they could expect when they're getting an Akashic Record reading? Yeah, so the Akashic Record is, is uh, theoretically, the, the Akashic Record is the etheric, so in other words, sort of the invisible record in the sky, as they say, of all of the events and experience of a, a person's soul from past, present, and future. So really, it, it's a form of an intuitive reading, but the way that I do them is I do them more strategically than the average bear because I really want to fine-tune it to the particular concerns that a person is having. So in other words, if someone is... Um, kind of having the same kinds of relationships over and over and over again, perhaps I would go in and work with that client to go into the Akashic Record to figure out, okay, is there past life stuff that is unfinished that you were supposed to be working on and evolving beyond so that you can stop this old pattern that's not working for you? So really, it's, again, working from the soul side to fix the human side when I go into the Akashic Records. But it's also... It is a form of intuitive reading, but the way that I do them and the way I was trained to do them is much more kind of like a laser beam, and um, it's not kind of going in and rubbing a crystal ball and saying, okay, well, I see this in your future. It's really more a matter of let's let's really delve in and um, kind of grab hold of something that you're tripping over in your human life so that we can fix that and help you evolve beyond it. Mm, that makes sense. So when you when you think about uh, Akashic Records and you think about soul agreements and collective agreements, are you seeing pockets? I mean, this could be a generalization, but are you seeing pockets of? I mean, you're we're in Atlanta. I believe you're in North Carolina. Yeah. And mm-hmm. on your site, I mean, you're 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 speaking every all over the country, and you do workshops all over the country, and you have upcoming workshops in Seattle. I saw. Are you seeing mm-hmm. a different acceptance where? You may wear kid gloves and try. It's more of an education in different parts of the country versus here. Let's go all out. Let's talk past life regression. Let's talk akashic records. What are what are what's your current snapshot of the United States? Yeah, I definitely think I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that in two ways. I definitely think that there are pockets throughout the United States that are more open and willing and progressive and thinking in this way. Um, you know, I, having been up in Seattle for, um, I was up there eight days uh, just recently and did two talks there. Um, 
you know, again, it's a progressive area. So you're going to have a lot more of the population being interested or willing, you know, to really delve into the Akashic records or past life regression or the spiritual world in general. But, but again, you also have to remember that if people are coming to my events, it's because they want to. So they've self-selected to attend these events. What I would say about that, though, is that there are, depending on the area of the country, there are greater um, numbers of the population in certain parts of the country that are very open and very interested. So it's an evolving kind of place. You know, I, I want to throw this in, which is interesting. It may shock some people. But there's another book that I'm writing, and I was doing some research to find out, you know, what number of people really do believe in past lives or believe in reincarnation in general. And um, the stats are pretty clear that almost 40% of Christians actually believe in reincarnation, but they don't always talk about it. So there's, there's sort of the surface belief that we see, but there's also this underlying belief system that people are really kind of afraid to talk about this stuff, even though, you know, it's been around for centuries, you know, as far as the talk of it. So I think there's an evolution that's occurring even within different pockets of the country and different religions and, and spiritual bases that, um, it's really quite refreshing because I, I, you know, especially looking at the research, um, it's fascinating to know that that many Christians believe in the reincarnation. Hmm. Have you, know, you uh, on some level, I actually, on some level, I would agree with you as well, uh, Catherine. And I'm, the only reason why I'm, I'm kind of, I was actually taken aback. Actually, this week I was watching a video from a very prominent person. And I don't really see myself or David or even you. We, I don't. I try not. I'm a guy, so I do put in on some level put uh, everyone in different pockets. But in this case, we we had uh, someone that was very prominent in the spiritual community, and it, it sounded like in the video that they were denouncing it and going back to their Christian roots and just you know totally against what they were following or ascribing to for like the past 10, 15 years. And I was wondering if you, if you are seeing on some level some type of, um, not flip-flopping, but, you know, you know what, I tried this and this isn't working for me. I'm going to go back to my traditional Christian ways. I, I've seen this in, in, with other speakers that we've spoken with, and I wanted to know mm-hmm. if you're seeing any of that on your side as well. You know, I've seen that with one or two national speakers. There's one in particular that I think did shock a lot of people. Um, she very much, you know, worked with angels, worked with, um, you know, guides, archangels, and she's You're very talking much about the same person. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's ditched all of that. And I think it's really thrown a lot of people. And, and confused a lot of people. In fact, you know, a lot of people think she's kind of confused. Um, and, you know, I, the way that I look at that for, you know, I guess just trying to stay open to her own evolution is that for whatever reason in her own evolution, there must be something that she needs to, you know, there's, there's a reason she has to go back to the other beliefs. Now, even she has mentioned that um, because I watched a video of her kind of explaining her shift. You know, even she has talked about the fact that there's a lot of people saying that her new partner is very controlling and that's why, and she's kind of saying, no, that's not the reason. And so, you know, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. But I just try to respect it because I just feel like there's there's some reason why she's going through that own her own process right now. And if anything, you know, and this is something I talk to clients and workshop provider um, participants about, if anything, it just helps us really challenge our own beliefs to say, okay, well, this person's shifting, but what do I believe and what is it that brings me peace in my own spirituality? Because sometimes we have to see the contrast and help to see, experience sort of the, the discomfort and the confrontation in order to really discern what we need. So, you know, I just really look at it a perspective of, you know, there's just an evolution in her, her perspective as well. Good, David. I stepped on it yeah. on you before. I was going to ask you, Captain. You know, historically, the you know the medicine and the medical side of things didn't always gel with the spiritual side of things, and 
I was just curious, you know, as, you know, you got into your own practice and you started being, you know, open, open and practicing, you know, spiritual techniques and, you know, doing readings and what, did you get any pushback from the medical side of things? Well, um, no, not, well, yes and no. And, and let me say something that may shock a lot of people. Um, historically, actually, all of the healers that were out there were spiritual before there were physical healers. So if you think about any ancient culture, any natural culture, you know, Native Americans or Caranderos or um, shamans from any country, really they, they were spiritual before they were physical healers. So our modern medicine approach is actually backwards because if we have someone who is wanting to go into medicine of any sort, um, they go into the scientific mode and then maybe they'll practice some spiritual health and try to understand spiritual health. So it's, it's a really curious, I don't know if I'd call it an evolution or a devolution of our approach to healthcare. Um, as far as the pushback, um, of course, I have had some pushback. Um, I find it kind of curious. There was a workshop I was doing uh, for healthcare providers about five or six years ago. It was an all-day workshop, and uh, there was a gentleman that was um, probably four or five rows back, and I could tell that he was really wrestling with something, um, and I had them doing uh, kind of a little writing exercise on their own. And I walked over to him and I said, you know, it looks like you're kind of, you know, mulling something over, you know, can I help you with anything? <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what gives you the right to talk about the soul. And I looked at him and I said, I didn't know any of us were exempt or, you know, or couldn't talk about the soul. And he says, well, you're not a clergy person. You're not a priest. You're not, you know, he just kind of went on. He said, I, I, I'm just having a hard time knowing why you feel like you can talk about the soul. And it was fascinating to me, the perspective, yeah, because he, he was a therapist. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, isn't that interesting? Because one of the founding fathers of psychology, Carl Jung, talked all about the soul. I mean, that was his basis of his theory. So it, it's curious to me. Now, on the other hand, you know, about three, four weeks ago, um, I had to do a consultation with one of the uh, residents, the medical residents that I had taught. So he's been in practice for almost 20 years uh, in a you know, primary care practice. He's a family practitioner. And I called him to do a consult about one of our uh, mutual clients. And he said, um, he said, yeah, hey, I was on your website this morning you know, just checking to see, you know, kind of where you are in life. And he said, so I'm glad you called. And he said, I just saw that you do Akashic Record reading. And, you know, in, in my, the back of my head, I'm like, okay, what's he going to say about this? <laughs> and he said, he said, I think that's so cool. He said, I've been watching TV and I've been, been learning more about the Akashic Records and I want to talk to you about this. And I was, you know, taking a little sigh of relief, but I basically told him, I said, you know, you would not believe how helpful it is for helping people heal. And he said, well, I definitely want to know more. So, you know, I get pushed back at times, but I really feel like I'm here to help educate them to, to, to help them realize that the soul comes first. You know, we were a soul before we were a human body. So, you know, we kind of have to really look at the bigger picture. And the only, the only reason I asked is because there was a time um, years back when I was part of a group that when we do go do what is known as missionary healings, and that was, we would go to people, if they weren't physically able to come to where we were, we would go, and, and a lot of times they were in hospitals, so we had to, you know, walk into that hospital energy, and then to whatever degree deal with, you know, the nurses and doctors kind of just, you know, these are those weird people and they think they can, you know, there's a lot of ego involved on, at least on their side. But, you know, it was, easy, you know, these weird people come in here thinking that they can heal and they, you know, let us, allowed us to do it, but there was definitely that energy that was there. And so anyway, that's, that was the reason why I asked. Yeah, and I, I don't doubt that there are people that, um, that would challenge, you know, this approach. But really how I look and how I look at this and how I present it is in a very down-to-earth approach, which is this soul health model 
<clears throat> excuse me, pretty much everybody relates to it once once they understand, okay, this it's called the soul health model, but it's really about how do you get your human life together? <laughs> you know, what do you do to evolve into an even better human being, which in essence means you're evolving into a better soul. So, um, you know, it's it's all in how you present it. You know, um, my I have this great story. I, my office mate is a very intellectual, very smart person, and she says she doesn't really feel like she has a spiritual bone in her body. She just doesn't feel it. She doesn't ascribe to spirituality, and so she's very intellectual. And one day I was talking to her, and she said, I said something about, yeah, you know, I'm sure that... Um, you know, there's going to be people that think I'm totally crazy. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, but you're not crazy. And she said, she said, if I can say that, <laughs> then anybody can understand that this model is a very user-friendly model. So it was really kind of affirming, but at the same time, it, it really depends on the openness of the person to look at the whole person. Yeah. Let me ask you, when you first started your career, I was reading about you being a coordinator of alcohol and drug education at Indiana State University. If you can talk a little bit about what the environment was like then as far as education with regard with regards to alcohol and drug education versus today where on many fronts they're talking about a, a, a lot of drug crisis, be it opioids and other chemical uh, interactions that people are having. You know, and I think that's a great question. Um, I think it has probably changed a ton, and the reason I say probably is that obviously I'm, I don't work in higher education anymore. But you know, back then the focus was really on alcohol. You know, that was the main thing that we talked about on college campuses. But as you said, you know, now there's a, a you know much more um, interest or focus on marijuana, of course, with all the states that are legalizing. Um, there's much more uh, research, of course, on opioids, on cocaine, on, you know, even the date rape drugs, everything, you know, all of the other substances that are out there. So the education is different um, in terms of, you know, the different kinds of uh, substances that are out there, but really the education is the same in terms of the approach to it because it's all about self-awareness and all about consequences and all about you know, personal responsibility, and so it, it just really, I'm sure it depends on the university, too, and which state you're in, but um, it has evolved. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon now that, you know, marijuana, there's so much more research out there on marijuana. They never used to think it was an addictive substance, but they have now found that, yes, it is an addictive substance. So, you know, there's there's going to be, I think, quite a transformation in drug and alcohol, drug and alcohol education in the next five, ten years, certainly. Yeah, it's kind of like technology. I mean, it's moving so fast that the traditional laws are, you know, they're just antiquated. So it's going to be interesting to see how we continue yeah. to evolve in that regard. In dealing with folks with alcohol or drug issues, was there ever an issue that you that you actually looked at the Akashic records or past lives and see if if there were associated patterns that they could overcome by looking at it from that approach? Yeah, at the time that I was doing that, I wasn't doing the alcohol or the excuse me, I wasn't doing the Akashic records. That was, gosh, that was 1993 to 1995, <laughs> so that was a long time ago. Um, but, um, so back then I wasn't using the Akashic Records for that, <clears throat> but I do currently help clients um, identify patterns for whether it's a health problem, whether it is, um, I probably never had someone ask me directly, you know, was there an alcohol and drug problem in the in past lives? I've never, I've never had that, um, but I have had people ask about, you know, gosh, I'm having this health problem. Can you go back and kind of look to see was that health problem there? What came from it? You know, how did that begin? What's unresolved? Um, but as far as alcohol and drug, you know, I have not had someone specifically ask me. And I, I was interested. I mean, I don't have your credentials. And someone asked me, and they, we, were, we were having a conversation, and they were like, well, you know, I'm like this because uh, I just have some penance I have to pay for in a past life, and, you know, this is just my lot in life. And it sounded defeatist, but 
on some level, some people use that past life as an excuse. Right. I was just wondering what, how you would approach it. If someone had come to you today with that a similar scenario, how, how would you address it? Well, you know, to tell you the truth, you know, our family, my, growing up in my family, you know, we, I grew up Catholic. Now, I don't ascribe to the Catholicism anymore. I love the ritual. It was beautiful. But, you know, we would used to joke and say, gosh, you know, I must have been so-and-so in a past, or, you know, such-and-such in a past life as far as, you know, like you said, paying some sort of penance. But I kind of use it the opposite way because since I use the term conscious evolution so much with clients, I basically use it the other way around in saying that, gosh, if you don't evolve beyond this, then you pretty much can expect that you're going to either continue going through that same thing in this lifetime or you're going to bring it into your next. (laughs) Most people are like, heck no, I don't want to do that. So it kind of motivates them to say, okay, let's fix this. So, you know, I really don't come at, and this is just who I am, I don't come at any of this as a karmic punishment. I come at it from, gosh, this is something you're supposed to overcome and evolve beyond. Mm-hmm. When you work with someone, Catherine, in general, how long do you work with someone? Like over, like is it over a course of months, years, or? Yeah, there is no general, um, and and it all depends on the person. It depends on the situation. I've been in North Carolina for a little bit over 18 years, and there are two clients that were referred to me when I worked at the medical center who have followed me into private practice. And I've, I've worked on on and off with both of these people throughout those 18 years. Now, it's not been 18 years straight. It's been, you know, four or five years goes by, and they call me and say, hey, I need a tune-up or I've got something else. But the majority of my clients, honestly, are a little bit more long-term because they know that I I talk about evolution. I'm not going to do symptom management and say, check, you're done. Um, so, you know, to me, you know, I, I just look at this as we are humans. We are in a everlasting process. And so if someone wants guidance in evolving, well, then I'm going to work with them as long as they're willing to do the work. So, you know, I've had people that have, like I said, I've had, you know, off and on throughout those 18 years. I've had people 12 years. I've had people just one or two years. I've had people three or four sessions. So it just really depends. And it turns out to be that the Akashic Record readings or the Soul Realignment readings, and again, I've done these with people all over the world, Switzerland, Sweden, India, you know, kind of all over the world, all over the United States too. Those tend to be, if, if they're calling just for those sessions, those tend to be kind of like, um, you know, I, I do a session and then, you know, maybe they feel like that's all they needed. Other people will call back. Um, I just had someone call me back um, at the end of last week. Um, I did a session with her about three months ago, and she asked if I would do another session with her, um, more of an Akashic record reading. So it really kind of depends on what a person is healing or what they're trying to work through and evolve beyond. Hmm. What about as far as working with men and women? Do you see anything common? Like, yeah, I see a lot of this with men, and, or I see a lot of this with women. Anything like that? Yeah. You know, historically, and, and this is statistically as well, you know, the, way back in grad school, the statistics were that three out of four therapy clients were women, that, you know, women tend to be more interested in going to therapy anyway. Now, I would say the majority of my practice is women, um, and you know I'd probably say probably ninety percent of my particular practice is you know female. Now again, that might just be because I do tend to you know work in the spiritual you know realm, and so you know more and more women tend to be drawn to that. Um, but as far as particular issues, of course, you're going to have gender you know, specific concerns. So, you know, if I were seeing 50-50 male and female, I'd probably have a better idea of if there was actual trend. Mm. Yeah, I can validate that because in in my experience and in years past and taking classes and workshops and, you know, on the spiritual side of things, the women always outnumbered them and it was always like a five to six to one ratio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just attended a um, Carolyn Mace workshop in San Diego, and there were two males in the room. 
and there were like a hundred, you know, females. So it was very interesting to, uh, you know, watch the dynamic. But yeah, <laughs> very good. <laughs> yeah. And I love her. She reminds me of a high school teacher. Of one of my oh yeah. <laughs> I I actually had the chance to tell her that she just laughed. Because I, I was in one of those scenarios, like you and David said, where it was like three other guys in the, in the room. Right. The <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, it, it's fun. And, you know, there's, I, I have a great story. One of the workshops that I did, um, <laughs> this was very fun, actually. Um, and this was the same workshop that that gentleman was in that question, you know, what gives me the right to talk about the school. But I was doing an all-day workshop in Asheville, North Carolina for healthcare providers. But I had gone in early, I'd set up the room, and then I went down to this little sort of um, cafeteria area, lunch room, just to kind of you know, get some sun before I was in, in the room all day. I walked back into the room about 10 minutes ahead, and again, I, I almost thought I was in the wrong room, because about half of the group were male, and about half of those males had tattoos all over them. And I'm thinking, wow, they're coming to a holistic health you know, conference, and am I in the right room? And so I, I asked them, and this is, again, a really good lesson in not making assumptions, but I said, yeah, hey, you know, tell me what brought you here. And they said, man, we just started this um, treatment center for alcohol and drug um, um, for men, and we just want to know what we're missing. <laughs> we want to know all of the different aspects of health that we need to be addressing. And I'm thinking, you know, there's this group of probably, I think there's eight, there were eight or nine men, literally, like tattoos all over them, piercings all over them, and they were, they were all therapists, and they wanted to know more about how to help their clientele. And I'm like, beautiful, fantastic. So, you know, you really can't always assume, you know, who's who and what they're there for. So I just found that, I loved that story, and I found it beautiful that, you know, they really wanted to help their clients. Yeah. It's really interesting because it's, I've been in a lot of different uh, business owner groups and there's a lot of the same message. It's just a different presenter. So it's like, yeah. oh, well, yeah, well, we should go see Dr. Catherine. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Is she Does she fill, fill our ilk? And it's, it's just more the human nature of being in your tribe and if you feel yeah. if you belong with that tribe or not. Well, and I think there is a whole new soul tribe developing because not too many people really um, look at the soul or look deeper in terms of health, and yet have more and more people coming out of the woodwork saying, "I really need, you know, I really need what you do. I really need that whole health approach and that soul health approach." Yeah, I want to get your opinion on the whole health slash whole family because. I've seen both sides where, you, like we all laughed at, where there's three guys in it, and then there's other instances where it may be half the room because they want to find out, well, I might lose my spouse <laughs> because she's yeah. picking up on something else, and it's totally, she's not the person I married. And mm-hmm. I was just wondering what interactions you're having with uh, people being uh, begrudgingly <laughs> dragged to your workshops or if that's happening and, and what kind of openness that you're starting to see now with this new tribe. Yeah, you know, the beautiful thing is I really, again, it's like a self-selection. I really don't, for the most part, I, I really, I can't even remember someone who has been dragged along. Um, I think they're there is becoming more of an acceptance, you know, for males and females to just seek out more spiritual kind of um, literature or material. So I, I personally, I have not experienced people sort of being, <laughs> you know, <laughs> chained to come in. Um, but I do think, you know, and, and this is another interesting statistic because, you know, I went to a training years ago. This is probably about 10 years ago through Hay House, which is the largest um, spiritual publisher in the world. And it was a book writing. um, It was more of a publisher's workshop than a book writing workshop. But one of the statistics that they gave, that the CEO gave, um, Reed Tracy, he was saying, you know, make sure that you're writing your books in the voice of a woman because over 90% of self-help books are written for women. And it was interesting because he was talking about how to write 
you know, to make sure that you're meeting the population. And the way I took that was, wow, isn't that interesting that it, it really is women right now who are jumping into sort of the self-development and self-evolution. Now, I think, again, that was 10 years ago or so. I think that's changing. I really think a lot more men are, are interested in seeking out. Um, and again, it probably depends on the, pop, the part of the population and where you are for whether or not they feel like that's a safe um, um, journey to go on. Yeah, and I'm thinking from a safe environment aspect as well, and the person that comes to mind is Jack Canfield. He had written mm-hmm. Chicken Soup for the Soul, right? And and most people know that, but for those that don't know that, they may have been introduced to his writings by Chicken Soup for the Golfer or the Chicken right. Soup for the <laughs> Teenager. Now I'm speaking specific. He's speaking to me, you know, and, right. and it may be better to niche it down, and that way you're you're hitting all the bases. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know he. The beautiful thing of what he did is that he knew that people like stories. And so he basically got all of these stories and basically pulled them all together for in themes and published these books. So they're really not even his stories. They're, it's an, each one of his books are pretty much anthologies. But the beautiful thing about that is people love to relate to other people. So, like you said, the chicken soup for the sports you know, enthusiast or you know, the golfer or whomever, it, it still is resonating with a lot of males because um, it's kind of, it, it's really hitting them in the place that they need to in order to you know, really get what they need from those books. Mm-hmm. And as long as they come through the funnel, right, uh, <laughs> you're, you're coming through, and I may come through for golf, but then uh, you're introducing me to your recreational health. You're introducing me to right. all, all of your other branches. Right. Right. So. And the most beautiful thing that happens in my practice is when people start automatically using the word soul. <laughs> um, I, I have a client who I've worked with probably about eight years now, and he, at the very beginning, he, you know, he would not have used that word. But I naturally hear him say, man, that really fed my soul. Or, gosh, I know that's not good for my soul. Or, wow, you know, when I walked into that really tense meeting, it just killed me. You know, my soul was screaming. Or, so <laughs> you know, getting the language back into people's lives is a really important part of my mission, too, because, you know, ancient cultures used to use, you know, the word spirit or soul or, you know, whatever from their own language but you don't hear it in our culture. And, and I think we are really disconnected from that very um, source of who we are and that sense of who we are. And I think that's one of our biggest problems. One thing that I don't usually hear and one thing you keep saying that resonates with me is the beautiful thing. Like I say that all the time and it's just like, is everything really that beautiful or is it just your perception? So I just want to say a hello to you for <laughs> having that approach. Yeah, oh, wonderful. Definitely resonating. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, you, and, you know, it is tough to see our, our challenging world is beautiful right now, but I also call it the most beautiful, ugly couple of years because <laughs> we've We've learned a lot, and there's been a lot that's been evolving amongst all of the ugly, but it's a necessary part of a revolution. Right, something beautiful. We don't know what it is, but something beautiful will come out of all of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have some upcoming workshops. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit? I I see you're restoring the feminine soul that's happening uh, next month, and if you want to talk a little bit about that and, and what, people that are listening couldn't expect if they want to attend? Can they do it in absolutely. person, online, all the above? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there are several different options out there. Um, and so I, I, I'm doing everything from webinars uh, so I can reach anybody around the world to one-day workshops, a couple-hour workshops. The one that you just mentioned, the it, it's basically the Women's Radiance Retreat. And um, it's restoring the feminine spirit. And so what that is, is I've rented a really incredible lake house down on Lake Norman um, in North Carolina, which is, you know, get this, this just shocks me. This lake has 520 miles of shoreline. It is a huge lake. Wow. And so I rented this beautiful house for women to come to, to really kind of do some soul searching, figure out where they need to be in their lives. There's so much transition going on in the world, and people just don't pause to figure themselves out. 
So that retreat is specifically designed to help people kind of restore and get some clarity and get themselves on a better path while also really aligning their lives to take them to their highest good, whatever that might be. Um, there are other things. My recipe for radiance webinar again, which is uh, can be you know seen anywhere in the world, um, is it's a 90-minute um, kind of snapshot on how to create your own specific self-care plan, which I call a soul care plan, because most people think, oh yeah, you know, I go to the gym or you know I go hang out and have a beer after work, and that's my my you know that's what feeds my soul. Well, those things are true, but really we need a much more specific plan in order to you know really intentionally take care of ourselves. And and I would say next to none of us have that. So that webinar really kind of uses that metaphor of a recipe to figure out okay what are your your staples, what are what's your broth, and then what are kind of the spices that you need to add to your life. In other words, what are the activities you need to add to your life um, in order to really feel that? I use the word radiance a lot. Um, there are workshops that I'm doing at um, you know different locations. Um, I've got a spa that does events. I'm doing you know a couple events. In fact, there's one this weekend up in uh, Mooresville, North Carolina. But then I'm also kind of getting back on the national. Um, you know, travel schedule again. Like I said, I just came back from San Diego and I came back from um, Seattle and there will be more kinds of workshops and classes around the country um, as time time unfolds. Mm-hmm. And today of this recording is, is September 5th and we're a few weeks away from the fall equinox. Are you planning anything special for that? Like you said, we need to take the time to sit and reflect. And uh, Are there any... Uh, plans or any intentions that you're setting as we end out the two year of 2018? You know, I used to have a workshop space here that I would do um, both uh, Equinox and also, um, um, you know, different cyclical kinds of things, um, whether it's full moon, whether it's, you know, other kind of celestial kinds of events. But now what I try to do is I, I do a fair bit online. So I use um, whether it's sometimes it's my newsletter, sometimes it is my Facebook to do videos and help people really kind of look at, you know, Equinox is a time of new beginning and also letting go. And so it's it's that time of helping people really look at their lives and, and really assess what do I need to let go of and what do I need to work on moving into. So, you know, I right now I don't have any classes or workshops scheduled, but I really try to uh, sprinkle, and that's probably the best way to look at it, sprinkle some consciousness into people's lives by reminding them to be intentional and mindful and thoughtful throughout those times of the year. Fantastic. And we are at the top of the hour. Uh, David, do you have any other questions? Um, no, we covered a lot. <laughs> yep. I knew we would. I mean, we. I feel like we only touched the surface on you because you offer so much. And, and as you said, it's a, it's a continuing growth process. So this is just a snapshot. So we'd love to have you back on at some time. And before we, let you, before we let you go, I'd love for you to, to highlight your website where they can find out more about you and your book and any other social media that you'd like to get to give out. Absolutely. Thanks. Um, you know, the best way to get to me is just type in the soulhealthmodel.com because it will take you to everything I do. <laughs> um, you can type in www.drkatherinetkelly.com as well, and that will get you there. Um, if you want to look at any of my social media and follow me, there's a uh, bar at the top of my website that has all of my social media. You can just go straight to the website, click on all of those links, and it will take you to each one of them. And then you can add yourself you know, as, as you'd like. Also, if you'd like a newsletter, um, I actually do send out a monthly newsletter on the first of every month with I guess, some sort of article that, that helps you really kind of look at your, your evolution. Um, I, I want to throw in one more plug, though, is that I'm also about to launch a line of essential oils that are based specifically on what people are trying to work on in order to evolve. And so that is something that if, for those of you out there that are interested in essential oils, that's coming. That's coming soon. So um, would love to um, have you all follow, and, and we'll go from there. 
Fantastic, fantastic. Well, you have just been tuned to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And Dr. Catherine Kelly, it was a pleasure. Let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.